everyone, and welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us today. So today is Session 7 in our study of 2 Peter, and we're discussing Chapter 2, verses 17 through 22 today. So we're taking up right where we left off last time. Peter's continuing his warnings against false teachers. And in today's passage, he goes into further detail about the outcome of those who follow them. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. These people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. Okay, so imagine yourself walking down a hot, arid path. You've been walking for miles and still have miles to go. The sun is relentlessly beating down on you. You're hot, you're weary, you're thirsty. You're barely able to put one foot in front of the other. You're not sure how much longer you can go on. When in the distance, you see what looks like a beautiful spring of cool, refreshing water. There is every indication that this is the place that will give you what you're looking for. That if you can only get there, your needs and your desires will finally be satisfied. But when you arrive there and dip your hand into it, expecting satisfaction and fulfillment from this beautiful spring, instead you come up with a handful of sand. You come up completely empty. The place that appeared to have exactly what you needed most was a fake, just a waste. And now you are more thirsty than ever. That is what Peter is describing here. False teachers are like springs without water and myths driven by a storm. In scripture, sources of water often refer to divine instruction. Proverbs 13.14 says that the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Proverbs 18.4 says the fountain of wisdom is a babbling brook. So false teachers give signs or indicators that their words and lives are true. They may use the Bible as a source. They may quote scripture. They may act friendly and kind. They may even talk about all the good deeds they do and the people that they help. But it's all fake. It's all lies. They manipulate people by quoting scripture and acting like Christians. But in reality, their chief goal is satiating their own lust for power, glory, money, and fame. They take the tenets of the Christian faith like loving others, kindness, and generosity, and they twist them in order to serve themselves. They look like a refreshing spring, but they offer no water. And they're also, they also look like mists driven by a storm. Now, other translations use the word tempest instead of storm. 
The Greek rendering could also mean squall or whirlwind. Jude verse 12 says they are waterless clouds carried along by the wind. So while they look like a mist that will lead to a refreshing rain, instead they only bring a tumultuous windstorm. In other words, in both cases, false teachers don't deliver on what they offer. They promise that their way, their method, their philosophy will give you the fulfillment, the guidance, the peace and the meaning that you're looking for. But it gives you nothing and takes everything. One commentator says the storm they promised and could not fulfill will be the one that breaks on them, not with refreshing rain, but with eternal gloom, as verse 17 describes. And in verse 18, it goes on to say, For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. So they use boastful words that seduce people because their words are appealing to people's fleshly desires. So rather than telling people to turn away from sin, to deny yourself and follow Jesus, because frankly, following Jesus actually brings more satisfaction and joy than any self-gratifying action ever could. But rather than that, they're saying things like, well, why would a loving God want you to deny yourself? Doesn't he love you? Then why would he want to deny you from getting what you want? You should do whatever makes you feel good no matter what the repercussions are for you or those around you. Live your life the way you want. And as long as you are happy, then God is too. But as verse 18 tells us, this philosophy is completely empty. Their words may sound beautiful and appealing, but they accomplish no real lasting fulfillment or joy. They're filled with nothing but hot air. I can remember when our son was a little boy. I decided for his birthday party one year that I was going to make him a homemade piñata. Now, we were on a pretty tight budget back then, and I was convinced that I could make a piñata far better than anything you could buy in a store. So off I went. I worked for days on the paper mache, then letting it dry, then painting it. And I have to admit, it turned out pretty well. I was actually kind of proud of my accomplishment until the time came to fill it up. You see, I was so focused on creating just the right piñata for my son's birthday, I forgot to leave a hole to put the candy inside. So while my piñata looked great, fancy and beautiful on the outside, it was completely empty inside. It wasn't going to provide anything to anyone. And so the beautiful boastful, empty words of false teachers cause a lot more damage than any empty piñata. They entice or seduce people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. Now, what kind of people are we talking about here when Peter says they barely escaped from those who live in error? Well, scholars give two options. Now, one is that these are people who may be going to church and being exposed to the gospel but they haven't yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. Or, option two, these are people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, but they are new converts, or maybe haven't grown in their faith and they are immature Christians. 
Now, I encourage you to study these verses for yourself and seek the Holy Spirit's guidance on their meaning. I don't want want you to just take my word for it, but in my opinion, based on the fact that they've escaped from those who live in error, I believe them to be new Christians or Christians who haven't grown in their faith. I believe these are people who are unstable in their faith, as Peter described back in verse 14. So they can be easily manipulated. False teachers may tell them that following our fleshly human nature, our old way of life, is not really wrong in God's eyes. They may even say that God's grace allows them the freedom to do whatever they want without facing judgment. But what does Romans 6.15 say? What then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. In verse 19, it goes on to say, They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. So false teachers, they're successful at attracting followers because they're skilled promoters. They know how to promote and sell their product, which is their false doctrine or philosophy. And they know how to choose the right targets, those who are vulnerable who aren't grounded in the faith and the word of the Lord. Verse 19 says they promise them freedom, which is what everyone wants. One commentator says the average person doesn't know how to listen to and analyze the kind of propaganda that pours out of the mouths of apostates. That's why I think verse 19 says they they promise people freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption because people are slaves to what defeats them. I mean, it's kind of like the idea of a monkey trap. People in Africa and South America used to catch monkeys by tying gourds with holes in them to trees or stakes in the ground, and then they would fill them up with fruit or nuts. Now, the holes were just big enough for the monkeys to reach their hands in, but not big enough for them to get their hands filled with nuts back out. So they became trapped. Even though all they had to do was release the nuts in their grasp, and they could easily go free. So the things that they wanted so badly, the things that they thought they needed, were the very things trapping them. If they would just let it go, they could be free. But there is only one place to find true freedom. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free you will be free indeed. John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians three seventeen. now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if true freedom only comes in knowing Christ, and I mean knowing Christ, not knowing about Christ, then everyone who does not know Christ is not truly free. Again, Romans 6, 16 through 18 tells us that we're slaves to whatever we obey, whatever we follow. And so it begs the question, who or what do we follow? And you may be saying, well, nothing. I'm my own person. No one has mastery over me. But what do we spend our time watching and reading? What do our conversations revolve around? What ideas and subjects consume our thoughts? Now, ask the question again. What am I following?
You see, Jesus is the only one who can be our master and yet offer freedom at the same time. Because in following Jesus comes freedom from the oppressive shackles of sin that binds us and prevents us from becoming the people that we are meant to be. P.T. Forsyth once said, The purpose in life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. But I believe it's when we find our true master that we find true freedom. And in verses 20 and 21, it says, For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. Now, I don't want to belabor the point, but again, these false teachers are not Christians. Peter makes that clear in verse 17 when he says the gloom of darkness is reserved for them. And back in verse 14 when he says they are under a curse. So how have they escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if they're not Christians? Well, it's only a temporary escape. They escaped in the sense that they are religious. They're a part of the church membership. They profess to be Christians. So they find refuge from the corruption of the world inside the walls of the church. Now, I think this is a critical point that Peter's making here. It's possible to have a lot of knowledge about the Lord and not be a Christian. Now, how so? Well, there is no personal relationship with the Lord. For instance, my health insurance provider knows a lot about me, where I live, if I'm married, if I have children, my birthday. They even know my health issues, the last time I went to the doctor, and on and on it goes. They know many intimate details about my life, but they don't know me in a personal way. I don't have an intimate personal relationship with my insurance company. I mean, they know a lot about me, but they don't know me. So these false teachers, they have a lot of knowledge about the Lord, but not the kind of knowledge that leads to salvation. Because look at what their lives have produced. They're slaves to corruption. They may speak Christian words and participate in Christian activities that make them look like they've escaped the world's corruption. But their words and deeds are empty and hollow because their only motivation is greed, not pleasing God. And because there's no real salvation, there's no real grace to help them overcome the power of sin. So they're continually entangled in it. And they're actually worse off than if they had never had any knowledge of the Lord. The Bible is clear that judgment for people who have had exposure to the knowledge of the gospel and willingly reject it and lead others to do the same is worse than if they had not known the truth than to turn their backs on it and lead others astray. See Luke 12, 47 through 48 and Matthew 18, 6. One of my commentaries says temporary reformation without true repentance and rebirth only leads to greater sin and judgment. Reformation changes the outside, but regeneration changes the inside. That's why Peter says in verse 22, 
It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. This passage is taken from Proverbs 26.11. Now, in biblical times, dogs and swine were contemptible animals. See Job 30 verse 1, Psalm 22.16, Matthew 7.6, and Luke 16.21. Dogs were rarely kept as pets. They were usually half-wild mongrels. They were dirty, diseased, and dangerous. Swine represented filth. They were the ultimate in uncleanness to Jews. See Luke 15.15. They were declared ceremonially unclean in Mosaic Law. Leviticus 11.7 and Deuteronomy 14.8. So the point that's being made is that dogs and pigs will always return to their true nature. Dogs and pigs will always act like dogs and pigs, no matter how you might try to clean them up or change them. And in the same regard, false teachers, no matter what they say or do, will always return to what they've always been, deceivers. You see, it's only salvation through Jesus Christ that can truly change a person's natural tendency towards sin. So I realize that this has been kind of a negative lesson, but I think if we could take a positive takeaway from it, it would be the fact that the truth will always come out. So we mustn't become discouraged by the lies and the falsehood that surrounds us. Because if we are on the side of God's truth, we will win in the end. So our challenge is to encourage those we know who are new to the faith or maybe need to grow in their faith. Don't we all? And let's pray for them and us to be courageous enough to stand on the side of truth. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.